Mike Shaw is a principal of the tax advisory firm Oliver Shaw, based in Wellington. He's who I always recommend for any particularly uh, knotty uh, tax problems. Uh, he's a former uh, partner at Deloitte and accountant, but we won't hold that against him. Mike, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Thanks, I think, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we've got you on. There's, there's been quite a lot of media coverage on these 400 letters that have gone from IRD to high net worth uh, individuals seeking the information. Perhaps give us a little bit of background. Um, what's this exercise that IRD are undertaking? <laughs> Well, Inland Revenue have been funded by the government to do a research project. So it's a pure research project, and it's really looking at the effective tax rate that the high wealth, the high net wealth group pay. So it's looking at the tax they pay, but it's not just tax over income; it's based tax over economic income. Um, and the just explain the difference. Well, in, tax income, taxable income, is is what's taxable under the Tax Act, and usually it doesn't include things like capital gains, and it doesn't include gains on private assets, where this project will potentially, and it's not clear yet, but potentially look at gains, all gains that someone makes, whether it be um, realised or unrealised, and also gains they may make on their private house. So it's, but it's I mean, this is being set up by um, David Parker, they're giving IRD some money. There were some law changes that were required that caused a bit of controversy because they were done... Uh, uh, rushed under through and under urgency. Take us through that and the implications for uh, tax advisors. So, if you go back pre December twenty, which is when you're referring to the law change, which I'll get on to in a second, the the commissioner could actually request anything from taxpayers, but it had to be necessary and relevant for that person's tax affairs. So that didn't give the commissioner a broad power to get information for general policy research. So on the 2nd of March last year, the government introduced legislation that was under urgency, which is really technical terms that they don't need to go through consultation. And it went so fast through the legislation that it actually got enacted the very next day. So introduced one day, enacted the next day. And that actually gives the commissioner powers to get information for general general policy purposes. So quite wider than just necessary or relevant for tax affairs. Why is that significant? You know, what, why should, I mean, for... For you and I, and I venture to suggest you're not one of the 400 wealthiest people in the country. I don't, not quite anyway. Um, that you know, you know, what is the significance of the government being able to poke and prod as opposed to just audit, which it's otherwise able to do anyway? Well, I think that's got sort of two or three different ambits of where this is wider. Firstly, it looks at valuation of assets. So generally for income tax purposes, valuation of assets is totally irrelevant because we don't tax value at the gains on yeah. the value of assets. So that's one. Uh, secondly, it also potentially will look at um, private assets. So generally the commissioner's got no interest in private assets because nothing gets taxed on it. It's got no tax implications. What do you mean like cars and houses? Cars, houses, holiday homes, um, yep. any artwork, um, any sort of assets which is really just outside of the tax net. Um, so, and But isn't the, isn't the reason they're looking into that is to sort of answer this age-old question of do the well-off use art trading and things like that to sort of hide their wealth or money on the side, things like that? 
I don't know. Uh, or every time someone says trading from a tax perspective, you think about people buying and selling. And if people were buying and selling with a purpose of buying and selling, then that would probably be intaxable. Um, but I think the the issue is that um, there's no real understanding about how much wealth some of these people have. And this is what part of the project is looking at. And it's not just cash in the bank. Because um, a lot of people will spend money on other assets, like such as artwork. Um, so if you don't, and I, and I expect this is where the review may go, if you don't look at all the private assets about how much someone's home costs, you don't really know how much wealth they have. So this whole exercise that you know this has the stench to me. It reports back just before the next election. It's basically what um, uh, David Parker has done, and I, I love that. One of the articles referred to him as Nosy Parker um, <laughs> here, basically setting up a report to show if you're, say, Sam Morgan and have built something like Trade Me that's worth um, kachillions, but you haven't paid tax on it because that, or actually zero is a better example. You know, um, you know, it's sure it's it's valued a hell of a lot, but not you bringing in money. Uh, is this basically designed to make it look like those people are not paying enough tax? which answers the question anyway, that New Zealand doesn't have a capital gains tax um, for all sorts of reasons that we perhaps come on to later. But is this basically sort of a setting up the IRD to produce a political report to justify a wealth tax at the next election? I think um, you, you raise a n- number of issues there. I think the, the first thing to note is that they're very clear to say that there is no specific t- policy that they're looking to develop as a part of this process. So they do not have on their agenda a wealth tax or inheritance tax or capital gains tax or anything. So they're just looking for the sake of it. Well, but but then you'd be a brave person to sort of bet that they won't actually use this information to develop a policy. But then it gets really interesting. What could they actually bring in? And 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 you know the obvious one is a capital gains tax, and let's just tax some of these capital gains. But of course, the prime minister's ruled that out, and never under her watch will she bring in a capital gains tax. And 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 I might add, I think you know there's lots of really good reasons of the complexity and the issues that a capital gains tax brings. So if you put a line through that, then where do you where does that leave you? And the other one that everyone seems well, to keep it, it winds back to a wealth tax. Well, and that's the one that everyone sort of talks about. The the wealth tax has got some major problems. And 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 I have looked at what some of the other countries do with wealth tax, but and and where other countries have got to comes from the bigger problem with the wealth tax is a lot of assets are not easily valuable, are, are, um, able to be valued. So if you can't value them, how do you apply a wealth a wealth tax? And the best example of that is an unlisted company. Um, and and a good example of that is the company I work for, Oliver Shaw. How do you value that company? And there is no basis. It's not listed. You can't really look at the assets because the only assets really is my cell phone and my computer. You know, and but anyone who I mean, let's be frank. That you go to your um, company and, and and pay you and your business partner the earth for the for your you know expertise. Yes, but and so you you how do you value the whole business? It's really really difficult. It's and and even if you thought you could do it, you could probably line up ten different valuers and you'll get completely ten different answers. So the problem with the wealth tax is a big part of the asset base that New Zealanders own is impossible to value, which is the private companies. So so that that to me and when you look at wealth taxes around the world, they actually 
acknowledge that point and don't try and value them because it's just too bloody difficult. So where does that leave you? Well, as soon as you cut that out, the next obvious asset is land. So what you'd really end up is land tax or a wealth tax on land, which again is just land tax. But land tax also has its major problems because as soon as you start thinking of land, you look at where's the big bits of land that New Zealanders own. Well, the first one is residential. And so would you include it on residential land? Um, and then the next big one is farmland. Housing tax. That's yeah, well, it's a housing rates. tax. Yes. But then, and then go further afield, well, what about farmers? And if you put a, a land tax on farmers, that is a horrendous cost to that part of the industry. Um, and then you've got... But, I, want to, I want to push back on this a bit because we are on the public record. I mean, the wealth tax is, I think, one of the most economically destructive taxes you can have because, you know, for, for my lifetime... New Zealand has had a productivity problem and because of under-capital investment. Capital can go anywhere in the world. The idea that you would tax something that can be ch chased offshore is nuts. Whereas a land tax, you can't move land. It will affect the valuation of the land, and it's effectively a wealth transfer to government. I, get, I understand all of that. But surely that's a lesser problem than a comprehensive tax on entrepreneurship, innovation, and wealth. I was on the um, 2010 uh, Victoria Tax Working Group that looked at land tax. And I think you, the points that you articulate are really good, which is if you applied land tax across every bit of land, then there's a lot of logic on it because you can't put it on a plane and shift it out of New Zealand. Mm. And if you could did every bit of land, you could actually have a low rate. So you actually tick a lot of boxes. Um, the, 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 the issue comes back down and it's the politics of it. As, as one, what will you do with residential? Bear in mind, that's a big part of our land holdings. Then you've got farmland. Then you've got Maori land. And then you've got land owned by charities. And the question is, at what point do you see that the, the politicians will say, let's go tick to all of these? Yeah. And as soon as you start ticking them all off, you get to the land tax we used to have. So we used to have a land tax. It got repealed in March 92, so not that long ago. Um, but if you look back at what land tax um, we did charge, couple really things stand out. One, it collected stuff or revenue. And the reason why it collected stuff or revenue was that actually just about every bit of land got exempted. And the only land that was caught was basically Queen Street and Lambton Quay. Obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get the flavour. It gets really narrowed down and that becomes a really distortionary. So have a land tax that only applies to certain parcels of land, then you, 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 you run into lots of distortionary impacts and it sort of unwinds all the efficiency gains you, you sort of entered hinted at at the start of this question. So let's get back to the letter. Who got the letter? Who was lucky enough to get the, um, the well, I understand it was by registered mail, this, this letter from the IRD. Um, who got it and what does the letter say? So there were, so the Inland Revenue, just sort of by sort of background on this, Inland Revenue has a, has a group based out of its Hamilton office, which looks after the high net wealth group in New Zealand. So they actively monitor, they review the tax returns, review balance sheets, financial accounts of the high wealth unit. That group is around 400. That's pretty much the group of taxpayers, that, as I understand it, that have targeted this letter. So those people all got the, welcome on board, 
and here you go. Um, so, and all the letter has said to date is um, acknowledgement that you're on the, the special list of the 400. Um, and then there's a follow-up letter which basically says, um, we also need to know who your partner is because your partner will also be get interviewed in, 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 in this exercise. Oh, wow. So you actually, they will actually send officials to interview. Oh, uh, well, interview, you'll go through questionnaires. I mean, I don't think I don't, you know, yeah. So it won't, it won't be. It probably won't be a direct interview. It'll be questionnaires about what information, what assets you've got. It's that sounds a lot like an order. Um, well, that, the, the, the couple points on that, but in, in relation to um, an audit, the, the the act, the the legislation that we talked about right at the start that brought this in and gave the commissioner wider powers to go collect all this information was explicit to say that the commissioner cannot use this information that they gather through this project for any proceedings against the commission uh, against the taxpayer. So if they identify anything, the legislation says they can't use this information to then audit the taxpayer. Um, How can that? Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, IRD's role is to enforce tax law. They've got their policy wonks going and doing um, not audits, but audits. If they find something either fraud or often these sorts of individuals, you know, the, the fact that they have to hire consultants up in Wazoo to advise, there could well be mistakes or differences in interpretation. Are you saying that the commissioner or officials have to turn a blind eye to that? Yeah. If they do find something, and the answer to that is yes, um, they will not use this information. And, and but before I just expand on that, you, you're right. We, we've got some really complex regimes here, and when you've got a new set of eyes looking at this, while this group's actively managed through the Hamilton IRD office, when you've got a new set of officials looking at it, they may have a different interpretation. So you may get two quite clearly different views, and therefore whether there should be tax. So they can't use this information, but. You know, at the end of the day, we have one commissioner. So the commissioner is assessing these taxpayers. And now the commissioner does this research and finds that, oh, Jordan, maybe you're on the list. And maybe you haven't been filing the returns how the, the policy people think they should be filed. So they can't use the information they gather from this research and um, to, to look at it. But I can't see any reason why the commissioner can't then issue you another request saying, give us this information again, but not part of the research project, and then go Just forward. Quinky dinky, we want to seek that information under our separate powers. Well, at the end of the day, there's just one commissioner. I can't see how she can have two views on, on, on the same bit of information. So I can't see why she wouldn't go and collect that. Bear in mind, though, which um, this, this review covers a period of six years, and a lot of those periods will probably be subject to the time bar, which will stop the commissioner actually um, okay. um, collecting. But certainly for the, the periods which are not subject to the time bar, um, I would have thought taxpayers should be really careful that anything they give could potentially be subject to and uh, 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 a separate investigation, albeit probably after this review is completed. I want to ask you about something slightly different now, and it amazes me that this never comes through in the sort of economic commentary on these matters, and that is that in recent years, New Zealand has signed up to all sorts of information sharing agreements uh, with countries in the OECD and foreign tax departments. And it just astounds me that we have a lot of companies or New Zealand New Zealanders that compete with state-backed companies around the world. I think Frontera and um, milk producers in Argentina, for example, or um, you know, state-backed or quasi-partially-backed companies that 
are able to access information about New Zealand taxpayers that New Zealand has signed up and we now have to share. We never see any sort of concerns raised about this. In this information gathering exercise, will the information be available to foreign tax agencies that are not necessarily as secure or care as much about taxpayer privacy as New Zealand and um, our Anglosphere equivalents? That, that's a difficult question to answer. I mean, theoretically, the answer is yes. And, and the commissioner has, has, or the officials have said this in their, in their papers, that if they get a request, and it's unlikely to be on Frontera because Frontera won't be part of the high-wealth unit because they're looking at yeah. individuals. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but okay, so yeah. if you have a high-wealth individual that's got a prominent company um, and, and th that information could then for be subject to this request under a double tax agreement. There's plenty of safeguards here, though. Um, the biggest safeguard guard is the practical one in that once this review is finished, which is June 23, the commissioner has said they will destroy all information. So if the, the request has to get in pretty damn quick and and, and be okay. processed to be to do it. So I think it's more of a theoretical issue. Um, but I don't think there's anything that the commissioner can say, I don't have to give this to another jurisdiction if it gets requested, if the commissioner's got it. Um, um, so one would hope the practicalities make that a more of a theoretical question issue than a, than a real one. So I guess the um, want you to look into your crystal ball because I, I think it's relatively easy to predict what will come out of it and I suspect the politicians that have ordered this report and spent this $5 million on, on officials to draft it for them and go and poke around. What do you think the report will say? Well, the, the, the simplistic answer to that, isn't it, is that it, what it will say is that income's been taxed at 28 cents because that's what you'd expect all the high wealth to do. All their marginal yep. income would be owned in corporates. Yep. Um, you'd expect the capital gains are taxed at zero because we don't tax capital gains. Um, and then you'll also have a bunch of these high wealths that will actually have zero tax, um, zero tax because they've got tax losses, and that's quite legitimate. Um, so... Then you put this all together, and if you try and come up with a, a an average tax rate or whatever, you'll probably get some percentage of, of this high-wealth group which pay very low tax uh, for very good reasons, and then you'll have some which will pay quite high tax. Um, where it will all come to, I don't know. I mean, I think we've got a bit of a snippet in this and that IRD has released a couple of reports, and Treasury did a report um, August last year, I think it was, where they outlined that 42% of the... Um, of the of of the high wealth that were reviewed in 2016 paid below 10 percent. Um, the problem with that isn't sort of isn't isn't a lot of that though. We're in a period where asset prices across the board are inflated. If we were looking at the same group of people in five or ten years' time, after presumably the bubble has burst, they'd be making enormous losses because no one in I mean right. Right now, you can sell your house and make, you know, make a kajillion dollars here in Auckland, but you've also got to buy a house, and houses are expensive. You know, you're not, it's a little bit, unless you're leaving the country, it's a little bit artificial. And similarly, you know, if you're the, you know, um, the guy Beck, the rocket man, or Sam Morgan at Trade Me, you know, that, that you might have this enormous book value, but until you actually sell it, it's very hard to assess. My, my question is, is this all a little bit artificial in the, in a world we live in with very low interest rates and therefore very high asset prices. I think you raise a really good point about the whole challenges of this whole review. And and the the 
determining what economic income is. And, and you know, this is going to cover a period of six years, 2012 through to 2021. Um, and what you have to do is establish the value in 2012 and this value of all the assets in 2021. Well, I'm just going to make that point. Assuming everything is constant, and of course nothing is always constant, but assume mm-hmm. everything is constant, just with the actual reduction of interest rates from 2012 to 2021, um, you would have thought any taxpayer would have made a considerable increase because the value of interest rates have collapsed, so therefore the value of the assets has increased. And of course, that's a real challenge for this, is how do they adjust from this? Because if we had gone through the different period, let's say we're going backwards, starting at 221 and went back to 2012, and look at, you know, everything was in reverse, interest rates would obviously increase if you did everything in reverse, and everyone's asset values, all things being equal, would reduce. So you would hope that there's enough integrity in the system that officials will acknowledge that and actually take that into account, and you don't get artificial swings just because of changes in the in the interest rates mm. mike there's there's been talk of uh, uh, uh some of the people that have received these letters being quite uh, upset with receiving them including questions around their domestic arrangements and, and things like that and consider it um some of the information very personal and potentially uh there's talk of judicial reviews and things like that practically is there anything that they can do or do you think that um, you mentioned um, in one of our previous conversations that you thought it was a little bit premature because we're not sure of the contents of the questionnaires yet? I I think that's right. I mean, I think if you look at where this is all at, to date, all I've really asked for is who your partner is. And in some situations, that's actually quite difficult to answer because, you know, we're looking at a period of six years. They do live in a different world then, if that's the case. (laughs) But, like, you could have situations where... You've had more than one partner. You might have more than one partner currently. Um, you could also have in a, in a, you could be in a situation where you're divorcing a partner or separating from a partner. So I think it gets really, really difficult when you get into those sort of cases. And I don't know how officials are going to handle that because that just seems really complex. The real rubber. Well, surely the, one of those 400 will be in difficult divorce proceedings or something like that where yeah. all these issues are live anyway. Absolutely. Law of, law of averages, you expect that, right? And I, look, so I don't know how you'd answer that. Um, 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 sorry, you had another question which I was going to answer. Oh, well, let's talk about oh, um, litigation. potential legal challenges. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it, it's not obvious to me what that yeah. would be, given that the IRD clearly have the power to seek the information now. The government's you know, quiet, quietly took care of that while no one was noticing. And uh, they're acting under the directions of the minister to go and use those powers to give policy advice. Of course, the scope is very narrow that he knows what he's going to get as a result and they've selected a time frame that, as you just explained, you know, you know what you're going to get. Mm. But um, nevertheless, you know, people want to challenge it. Do you think there is any room to? Well, I think the, 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 the real answer to that is we'll see in May when we see what the actual information requests are and how far that goes. Um, if, it, if it is just on information on existing businesses, it would seem quite hard to actually dispute that because an arguable commissioner's probably got all that information now. Um, so I think it's a bit early. I can see some real difficulties with the, 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 the cases about partners and children, depending on what your personal circumstances currently are. Um, so I, I think um, almost a bit too early to determine where it is. I think one of the other things that's really important to note here is this 
power that the commissioner being granted in, in the urgent legislation put in December last year, the commissioner is going to come out with an interpretation statement saying what she believes uh, this means and what it allows her. And unfortunately, she hasn't yet released that. So that will also give a good feel about where the commissioner sees her own boundaries on what she can ask for and what she can't ask for. Um, but but that's not been released yet. I guess that's fundamentally the question relevant to us as an organisation and to our listeners, that there is this uh, increasing trend of having to to share more and more information with the government that's often becoming more tenuous to actually the purposes of of the particular government agency. Are these sorts of powers common in our common law equivalents around the world, or is New Zealand unfortunately sort of leading the charge as to the information the tax department can ask for? A lot of the, um, I can't really answer that on what other countries do, but a lot of this information um, is generally collected outside of revenue. It's more by statistics. Um, and like, you'll be aware yeah, that's that... that's different though. That's not, that's, not as, that's not attributable to you in the same way as what the way IRD collect information. Um, but they do do surveys on individual people and then collect a whole lot of information. So the amount of information that stats collect on on, on people is, is quite large. I, I think the 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 issue that 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 came out of the tax working group that the government set up under the last government um, was the um, we should declare your the, your your business your business partner's involvement. What uh, was one of the people that that's right on that? Yes, yeah. that's right. But but one of the things that came out of that was the stuff that comes through stats has very, very, very little information on the high wealth. And I think that's just the law of averages that that because at the end of the day, we're talking 400 people, that's a very small number. And so for the num- those sort of people to be poured up in a general statistics survey is extremely, it's like winning lotto, really. Um, so you're just not going to get many of them ever surveyed. It would be a... Um... It would be a nice problem to have to be on on that 400, but I, I think particularly for that for those 400, or if you're one of those who worry that the IRD will come after you next, um, it's something to keep an eye on. Mike, thanks so much for joining Taxpayer Talk. Thank you.